Hey, how are you? This is Scott Bryant Comstock, host of the Optimistic Advocate podcast. And this is episode 18. And oh, boy, I'm very, very excited. I'm always excited, but I'm really excited because today we're doing something a little different. We're going to do a mini series on conversations about race. And uh, this was uh, this idea was brought forward uh, by Julie Radlauer Dorfler and Ryan Coote, who are two amazing individuals. Uh, Julie is the partner in the Ronick Radlauer Group and also heads up collectively, which is a Radlauer venture that, uh, you know, they have a very simple mission to create global impact through the engagement of diverse stakeholders to collectively solve complex challenges. Yowzer. Julie Radlauer Dorfler, if you've not met Julie or if you've not been in one of the trainings that she has done all across the country, she's a force of nature. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to have her on the podcast, as I am her colleague, Ryan Coote, who has spent uh, an entire career in social services, uh, whether it's helping children who have been abused, abandoned, neglected, and his current passion is working with homelessness and helping people exit homelessness effectively and become stable, housed, and productive members of society again. So just an amazing individual doing amazing work. We've got two amazing individuals doing amazing work. And when they approached me and said, Scott, with all that's going on in this country around race relations, with the horrifying news that just seems to keep cascading upon us about senseless killings and violence and racism as it impacts the fabric of our country here in the United States. They said, we want to start having conversations about race, just conversations. Because if we can show people how we do it, maybe they can glean something from that and do it in their own lives with their colleagues, their friends, their loved ones. Pretty amazing. So yeah, so uh, this is the first episode. This will spin off into a podcast that uh, Julie and uh, Ryan will be hosting. But the first couple of episodes are going to be with the Optimistic Advocate. And basically, I will set the stage for them and turn them loose. So, hey, enough talking. Enough of me talking already. Let's get into the podcast. Let's start off with the question. And, and I guess... If you could help us understand, how did this come about? Who, who called who? And, <laughs> and what, what in the heck were you thinking? Go ahead, Julie. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer this question. <laughs> um, what was I thinking? I was thinking that, I was thinking that, I've been working in the human services field for a really long time, 25 plus years. And I've worked with people who are experiencing mental health issues and homelessness and children and child welfare and juvenile justice and criminal justice. And um, I've worked with systems of care and in the behavioral health field and with, you know, organizations and communities. And I feel like I have enough life experience under my belt to be able to say that I, I know what's happening in the world. And I had no idea the depth of what was happening in the world with African-Americans, with Black people, in my, own, in my own community, in my own country. I really had just no idea. 
And I mean, I, 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 I teach cultural competence and I still have no idea. I have dialogue and conversation with people and I still didn't understand the depth of it. I don't want to say I had no idea, but I didn't understand the depth of it. And everything that's happened over the last year has created, in, in my world, has created the opportunity to look at myself and, and you know, my ability to understand what's happening around me, but also to have so many conversations with people that I, I care about, genuinely, my friends, um, my loved ones, people that I work with every day who have experienced something that I didn't even really recognize was happening for them. And I thought if me in this field, in the human services field, with, you know, with a master's degree and having friends and loved ones who are experiencing all this and I wasn't aware, then there have to be so many other people out there that also just aren't aware. And so I wanted to have a conversation about that, to just be very open and, and frank about that. But I don't want it to, I didn't want it to be controversial and I don't mean controversial, it's going to be controversial because it's a controversial topic, right? But I mean, I didn't want it to be adversarial. I wanted it to be informative and something that we can, that everybody can benefit from and learn from. And I'm willing to be open and vulnerable and have this conversation publicly, <laughs> but I needed to have a partner that, first of all, is able to listen, but also to educate because I need to be educated. And I think other people need to be educated. And so when I met Ryan and I listened to the way that he so eloquently is able to speak about the history of, of Black America and white America, but just, you know, historical perspective, to me, that was, that was the education that was missing because in our schools, we learn white history. And there's this whole other part of the world, this, this Black history, that most people don't even know about. Most white people don't even know about. And so I kind of approached Ryan and said, I have this ridiculous idea <laughs> um, and you're the guy for the job. <laughs> and, you know, would you be willing to have these conversations with me? Uh, because first of all, I want to learn. Selfishly, I want to learn. And secondly, I think there are a lot of people out there that need to learn. And as a white person, you're through this whole process, I've been told it's not a black person's responsibility to teach you. You have to go do the work yourself and go study and go read and go watch. And I did that for like a whole year, you know, and I know that's not enough time. That's only a year. But I mean, I did it for a whole year and I realized that it, as a learner, I learn through, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So I learn through talking things through and experiencing things myself. And so I was so pleased that Ryan was able to have these conversations with me. I knew he would be willing to have the conversations because he had them in class. You know, he was very open and so I, I knew he would, he would be willing to. I just didn't know that he'd be willing to do this publicly like this. So for me, first of all, thank you. You know, I, I, I really appreciate the compliments, you know, and, and, and I'm going to return them to you too because I think this is a very sensitive subject for a lot of people. You know, you're, you're, you're basically discussing race relations, right, and what are some of the issues and the barriers and how can we overcome these things? Which is a sensitive subject, especially given the history of African-Americans in this country, Black people in this country, not all Black people, but African-Americans in particular, the history of slavery, right? And the fact that slavery is something that I think one of the things, I think it's one of the things that this country, you know, we haven't really put it to the forefront to a degree and really discuss how slavery has affected generations of people up until this point. Right. I think it's a deeper conversation, but that's for another time. So when Julie 
approached me with the idea. I was, you know, when you approached me, Julie, I was, I, first of all, I was, I was flattered, right? Because I always thought I was, I was always the guy that's just like speaking into the wind tunnel and <laughs> nobody's hearing me, you know? But I also, because of who I am and how I was raised and some of the things I've learned throughout the course of my 40 something years on this planet, I think it's important that we have conversations with intelligent people like Julie, who are open-minded people who want to learn. I think it's up to me to provide her with that knowledge. And she will provide me with knowledge too. So it's all about reciprocity. For me to have somebody who's willing to do that in my life, I think it's important. I can't thank you enough for that because there are a lot of people out there that want to do this, but they're scared, number one. Number two, they don't have somebody they can go to. And number three, you know, it'll resolve itself. People think it's going to resolve itself and it's not, you know, because what's happening is it's getting worse because nobody's willing to talk. Prior to this call, I did some research on um, what Mandela did in South Africa, Truth and Re Reconciliation. I knew about it, but I wanted to learn some more about it. And just to give myself a better idea of how that helped them to advance a little further than we are in this country right now to a degree, right? And it's conversations. It's being honest. It's being bare. It's, it's Black people telling their story, white people telling their story, why this happened, why that happened. And it's really everybody coming together and having a conversation and being vulnerable, you know? Taking the class, Julie, taking your class with you and Marcy, one of the best things I got from that class was how to be more vulnerable. And that's not a bad thing. You know, a lot of people see vulnerability as like, oh man, are you crazy? But being vulnerable helps you to learn because it's like that onion or that orange. You know, you don't get to the soft part of orange until you tear off that hard part and the good stuff's in the middle, right? So being vulnerable, taking that class, exposing myself. And doing things that I've never really done before, you know, with a group of people who I did not know, <laughs> even though it was virtual because of COVID. But it was still very, it was, I want to say it was very therapeutic, you know, and cathartic for me, you know. And I think seeing how you and, and Marcy conducted the class and respected us made me feel even better that I could actually have these kind of conversations with you. And if I say something, I would never say anything disrespectful. You know that for a fact because I'm not that kind of person. But if I say something... You know, you would think about it before reacting because a lot of us, man, you know, and I hope you think the same thing about me too. I would think about it before I react because a lot of us, we're driven by emotion and that's not a bad thing, but when you're driven by emotion and you're having a serious conversation, it can get nasty. Just like husbands and wives you know, and or, or lovers. When you're driven by emotion, those are the worst arguments. So this is a very emotional, touchy subject especially for Black people and African-Americans in particular. But I also think a big part of it, we have to be part of this conversation too and play an active role. We shouldn't expect you, Julie, to come to us. Hey, let's talk about this. No, we have to play a role in this too, man. It's 50-50. Let's get there. We have to get there together. Because we sit back and wait, it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's so funny you say that because that's actually one of the, re you know, when I was sitting there thinking about, okay, what did I just say when, you know, Scott asked the question. One of the things that I felt like I wanted to say is that as a white woman, I, I have to be part of the conversation. I can't not be part of the conversation. And I think that there's so many people out there who, like you said, have questions and would be curious and would want to have a conversation, but they don't have either the, the white person or the black person that they can just, you know, be comfortable with and ask curious questions and not be worried about being attacked. You know, if they say something stupid, because I'm sure it's going to happen, 
you know, <laughs> and that's why I love that you and I could could talk about like, okay, well, let's put some ground rules around this. And if we say something that hurts each other's feelings or could be said differently, use it as a teaching moment and just kind of just be, you know, open that way. I feel like that's really important. And I agree with you, you know, with what you read about, you know, Nelson Mandela is if we don't have these conversations, we're never going to move forward. Yeah. It, it just, it needs to happen. And so I'm excited and nervous, excited about the opportunity to participate and learn with you and share our experiences. You know, we had talked about what are the things that people might want to hear, you know, and you alluded to this when you were talking is like the language that we use. Like you talked about like, okay, so the African-American is different than black. It's yeah, And I think as a, as a white woman, it's really confusing. You know, I, I find myself because I do, I do a lot of presentations, you know, as a professional trainer. And I'll get up there, I'll be like, well, the, uh, uh, um, you know, and I don't even know how to say the words. I don't know which word I'm supposed to say. Is it POC or BIPOC or Black or African-American? Or, yeah. And all of a sudden, I find myself tongue-tied, so then I don't say what needs to be said. And it's so confusing. Like, what do we do? And you know, it's so funny because the titles, you know, th- there's a history behind it. Because for a group of people who, if you look at the history that they've been regulated to second-class citizens or not thought of in certain arenas, they want that distinction. You know, so as, as a black man uh, who's an American, right, because I'm not African-American, I'm a black man who's an American, I think it's important that I identify, for me to identify my blackness, right, it's important. And I think for African-Americans, the history that they've had in this country, which you can tie, tie to a lot of the inequities that we have in society right now, you can tie it directly back to slavery, whether it's generational wealth being taken away, because to be very honest with you, how does a man, what gets a man wealth? His labor. So if you take away his labor, right, he can't attain wealth. So African-Americans, when they first came to this country, when the first slaves are brought to this country um, in the first colony, right, they were brought as, as servants, so their, their, their wealth was taken away. They weren't indentured servants. They weren't anything else. They were brought in as slaves. And, and slavery, chattel slavery is very different from other forms of slavery. That means that you are property and your family becomes property and it becomes generational to the person that owns you. So if you aren't able to work and use your labor to gain wealth, you're going to fall behind the wealth gap. And you see that throughout, throughout history. And of course, it goes into even after slavery, right? When General Sherman, you know, when, you know, after, you know, had, he had all these slaves and he had all these mules and all this land, and he's the one that proposed the 40 acres and a mule. People forget that. Even though General Sherman's a terrible history in America, he burnt Atlanta, burnt, we know that. But he and his generals who were, who were with him, they proposed, hey, let's do this for these slaves. Lincoln was going to do it. Andrew Johnson, after the assassination, decided not to do it. So that when you don't do that, you don't give them a stake in land. At the same time, too, you had the great you had these great migrations to America because the, the West was being expanded and millions of acres of land was given to all these people of European backgrounds. Not all. Some were excluded. Right. Let's be very honest. We'll get, we can get into that to a point, too, in the 1920s. But African-Americans were left out of that, too. So they still weren't able to build wealth in that way. Then you get to the more modern era with redlining and, and Jim Crow and all these different things. And so you have a class of people who've been traditionally left out of opportunities to gain the wealth needed to have generational income in this country. So when you have that, you are naturally going to have a swath of them who are way behind the curve economically and financially. So when you look at that group of people and you say to them, okay, 
what's happened here? The only thing they have to hold on to is that sense of pride. I'm African-American. I'm a black man. This is what I am, right? Because everything else has been taken away. But you can't take that from me. I think it's important that we have this conversation about what, how should I address somebody? My best friend's African-American. My other best friend is Afro-Cuban. And my other best friend is a white man from, from Ohio. Right? I have three guys that I hang out with constantly, right? And for my buddy John, for him, he doesn't have a problem. He, he's the white guy, right? He doesn't have a problem <laughs> communicating with us because we, we, we take down all barriers, right? But I notice when somebody else shows up who, you know, he, he's like, you know, he's a little apprehensive. And what I say to him is, look, man, just talk to the guy, right? Find out some information about him. If he's from here, okay, so you're African-American. And, 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 and if you want to address him, you can call him the, the black guy, right? That's perfectly fine because I address myself as a black man. I, I'm a black man in America. Am I an African-American? That's right is reserved for the people who are the descendants of slaves. And I'm very passionate about that because we, ha we have to face the fact that this country got a 230-year, probably a 400-year jumpstart on the rest of the world off the backs of free labor. So I respect and pay homage to those people because I think it's important. My family could not be here without those folks because when Dr. King and his protesters marched in Washington, we got the civil rights, we got the, the second civil rights act, not the first one. <laughs> there was one that happened before, the second civil rights act that allowed safe passage, a lot of different things for people from different countries and women, men, people who are handicapped. Everybody got something out of it. And people forget that the next thing that Dr. King wanted to do was the march to come get his check. <laughs> that was the next thing he wanted to do. But unfortunately, he was assassinated, you know, and it was, and his, and his second movement is exactly what we're doing here. It involved poor whites. It involved people in Appalachians. It involved Native Americans who were left out. It involved Hispanics, black communities who were impoverished. That was his second move. It was the poor people's movement. That were, that's where he was going. And if all we do today is make somebody think, right? Okay. I think we've accomplished something because once you plant that seed, it'll germinate and it'll grow. But so let me ask you this. So like you were even talking about your friend, the white guy, mm -hmm. and, and, you're, and you're like, you're having to encourage him and tell him how to approach your other good friends or other people that come in. It's like, am I supposed to walk up to somebody, not just some random person on the street, but say I was talking to you, right? And I said to you, I'm trying to figure out what's the right way to address you. Am I supposed to call you black? Africa? Like, what am I supposed to do? Or am I supposed to just say to you, how would you like me to refer to you? Like, what's, what would be the, and I know it's different for every person and you're not monolithic and all that. And what, how can we give people advice about how to at least take this first step? Because this is kind of an important one. If I can't even know how to honor who you are in your history, you're not going to look, you're not going to talk to me. I think it's perfectly fine, especially in South Florida, to ask somebody, how would you like me to address you? Are you black? Are you African-American? Are you Jamaican-American? Are you Haitian-American? Because in South Florida, you know, you have Jamaicans, you have Haitians, you have Afro-Latinos, <laughs> Afro-Latinas, Latinas, Latinos. You have, it's, it's like this weird melting pot. I like to call South Florida the Caribbean of Central America and the Caribbean, right? <laughs> so you will have, it's the capital of it. So you will have a representative from all those countries I would recommend, so how would you like me to address you? Are you African-American? Are you black? Are you, are you Cuban? Are you, you know, are you Jamaican? You know, whatever, I, I think that's perfectly fine. And if the person, I think they would respect you for that too. So that is like such a foreign 
concept for a white person because nobody ever walks up to me and says like, well, are you white? Like, how would you like me to address you? Are you white? So that's out of, it's definitely out of a comfort zone because it's not a thing for a white person. So there's one group that they, they, they were Italians. They were legend. No, and Irish too. The Irish and the Italians. Yes. But you know what? If you think about it, those groups also had struggles too, right? When it came, you know, you know, prior to 1920, when you had this mass, um, when you had this mass influx of, of immigrants to the United States, right? You know, the Italians and the Irish, you know, they, they, they were also looked down upon by the Anglo-Saxons. At one point, Slavs, Hebrews, and a couple other um, groups weren't considered Anglo-Saxons. It wasn't until that mass migrations, that's when they all became engulfed into uh, the race of white. Prior to it, it was all Anglo-Saxons, you know? So the Irish, who were the Celts, they were looked down upon. The Italians were looked down upon, too. They, they had some persecution. So you can see why their, their pride is so strong, right? But you see the same thing, too, in African-Americans. So for you, having a conversation about how would you like me to address you is a sense of pride. For me, it's, it's important because it lets me know that you're willing to learn, number one. And, you, you know, if, if you go, hey, what do you want me to call you? Like, that's whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whoa, you know. But if you say something like, hi, Ryan, um, and if you're doing something that warrants the question, right, it's one of those things you say out of the blue. Like, so what are you? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird. But if it's something that warrants the question, you say, Ryan, how would you like me to address you? You know, are you African-American? Are you black? And I'll go, I'm black, you know, but I'm American, but I'm black. And you go, oh, okay, so you're not African-American? And and I'll be like, no, no, my parents are Jamaican, right? But I'm I'm black and I'm an American, right? And if I say I'm African-American, that should let you know that I'm the descendant of a slave or I'm a person that's born here who's chosen to use the African-American moniker. But like I said before, I, I pay homage to... The, the the African Americans who came before me, right, and what they've what they've gone through. So for me, it's a it's a it's a it's it's a very powerful title for me. You know, Native Americans, African Americans. You know, there's those, those indi- the, the indigenous Native Americans and and African Americans. You know, what they've gone through in this country. I think it's very important that we recognize these things. So for me, I'm an American. Yes, but I'm a black man in America. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a citizen. You know, but for me, I think it's just those people have gone through a lot, and. I understand that my people may have gone through it too in Jamaica, but that's in Jamaica. This is America. So out of my respect for them, I, you know, I don't think I'm worthy to be called that because they've gone through a lot. And I'm here because of them. As a way to wrap up the uh, conversation, I asked Julian Ryan to share one takeaway from the conversation today, a takeaway that they would uh, want listeners to spend some time reflecting on and thinking about how it might operate in their own lives. Here's what they had to say. So I think the takeaway for me is don't be scared to ask questions because you're never going to get an answer unless you ask the question. And I think because the two of us have a high level of respect for each other, we're always going to maintain that respect. But I think some people are easily offended by certain questions, not me, right? And I don't think we would have that between us. But for others who are out there trying to do something like this, you got to think about the question. And ask it in a way that you would want it asked of you if the question was being posed to you. I think that's important if you look at it that way. Because there are people who may not be as open-minded as Julie and I. And 
you ask me a certain question to take offense to it. Now, don't get me wrong. If Judah was to ask me something that was like, you know, so can I say the N-word? I'd be like, ouch, uh, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no. Then she'd probably say, so why do you guys say it? Then I would say, well, you know, it's one of these things where I don't use it. I don't. I know it's, it's all over music and different things, but it's one of these things where I would say, I, I equate it to this. And this is just my explanation. There's so much has been taken away from us that the one thing that we have that others can't use, just leave it that way. So, so that's just, it may have a little levity to it, but just leave it alone. Yeah, you know. So because you know, it's just one of these things. So I think the number one takeaway for you is just to keep keep probing. Because we don't get anywhere unless we really understand each other. You know, it's like I fortunately I've never been to couples therapy. I have a very solid marriage, you know, but I have friends that have. And they tell me all the time, Ryan, we never get to the meat of what the issues are until we really get deep with the questions. And I really, like what Julie said earlier, being vulnerable. So number one is keep probing and a lot and number two is allow yourself to be vulnerable. Because I am and I know you are. I, I mean, of course I love what you said and and I, you know, I'm embracing vulnerability here, uh, as we both are. And it's a, it's like a landmine, you know, like you don't know, you know, I I can tread very gently and cautiously and there's just no guarantee. I'm not going to say the wrong thing. I'm not going to step in the wrong spot. And so I agree with you. You do need to know the person that you're, you're trying to communicate with, get to know and ask these questions. And I think though, I mean, I, I feel like our conversations are a gift. So I feel like you know, hopefully if, if people are, you know, want to begin to have these conversations with somebody else, they can find somebody that, that, that you know, they're willing to get vulnerable with and willing to just say, I'm going to mess it up. And can you just explain to me when I do? And hopefully they don't mess up too badly <laughs> to say, you know, something that's just offensive. Again, I come back to the, you know, we kind of agreed that we'd be like, ouch, you know, like, let's try and do it this way in an educational way. But I think the more you have these conversations, the more it's bound to happen. Because I think as, again, you know, I can't, I'm not speaking for all white people. I'm speaking for, as a white woman, there are a lot of things that I, I don't even know I don't know. And the way that you find out <laughs> is by stepping in it sometimes, <laughs> you know? So um, my, my hope is that people will tread lightly, you know, that, that people will be brave and be willing to seek out somebody that they can have an open and honest conversation with. And like you said, I love what you said, just, you know, think about how you would want somebody to ask you or you would want somebody to approach you. So if you want somebody to be, you know, gentle and tender in the way that they approach you, approach you then you, you need to, you know, show somebody the same respect. If you want somebody to be laughing and funny and gregarious, then go for it, you know? <laughs> and hopefully you found somebody that's up for that. <laughs> That's what I hope. I hope that people do listen to us and then try to seek somebody out that they can begin to have these conversations with too. As we approach the end of the conversation, I asked Julie and Ryan to reflect upon how this experience was, this experience of, you know, kind of a no agenda, just sitting down and having a conversation about race. Here's what they said. So how was today? Um, well, I was really looking forward to today, obviously. I was really looking forward to today. Um, and I love talking. I, I love having these conversations because uh, it, it's just, I love that we can laugh about something that's uncomfortable because that's my MO is when I get uncomfortable, I laugh. <laughs> Probably a nervous laughter, but that's what I do. 
I try to laugh as much as possible uh, in this world. So um, I love that we can talk about something uncomfortable and laugh through some of the the difficult part. Uh, I love I love listening to you talk about history because uh, I because I can't remember anything. <laughs> I can remember the general gist, but once you start getting into the specifics, I'm out. <laughs> so I love that your memory. Um, you know, can recall that kind of information. And I learn something every time we, we speak. So anybody who's looking to find a partner to talk to, I strongly encourage you to find somebody who's a historian. Uh, <laughs> Lots of be fun. careful with a historian, though. <laughs> <laughs> you might put you to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like I do want, I, we have so much more to talk about. You know, we wanted to talk about, and not necessarily today, but we've talked about having conversations about privilege and having conversations about cancel culture and having conversations about some of the language that's used like white supremacy and racism. And so I'm looking forward to our next conversation that we can um, begin to unpack some of those more difficult terms. I feel pretty good about what we talked about today is like, well, what do I call you? It's <laughs> a good start. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think, and that's the opening to any, just to knowing about somebody, you know, what's your background? Because, you know, our background, it, you know, it, it identifies our culture, our language. There's so many cool things about background that really set the tone for understanding somebody. You know, so I think this, today's topic was spot on and just, I loved it. You know, and I love having conversations with you, Julie, because I learned something too. Because I think, you know, aside from the fact that you're a wonderful human being, I also love the fact that you interject this human services side of things too, which I think provides that empathy for the conversation because you're aware of some of the issues that marginalized communities, especially communities of black and brown communities are facing in this country. So it helps to, it helps to, to, to open the door to a deeper conversation. I think our next subject should be something that the two of us may differ on, which is privilege. I know we've had this conversation, you know, I have a very different view of privilege. You know, um, some of my friends who look just like me say they call they call me right. They say, Ryan, you're crazy, man. That's I'm like, I think we have to be very careful with that word. It's almost like throwing out the word racist just because somebody said something doesn't make them a racist. <laughs> OK, racist is a strong word. If you just go willy nilly, giving it to everybody. Right. It loses its value. The same thing with privilege. Yeah, I look forward to talking to you about privilege because I do. I mean, of course, we see it the same and we see it differently. So yeah. I'm looking forward to having that conversation. Uh, that's just, all right. Well, we're, we're, this, this has been delightful and we look forward to the, uh, to the next episode where it's going to focus on privilege. I think, I think this is great. Many thanks to Julie Radlauer Dorfler and uh, Ryan Coote. Uh, what did I tell you? Are these not two of the most amazing individuals ever you'll ever meet? I think so. And their message is so fundamentally clear. We got to start talking to each other, folks, and we're going to make mistakes. And we're going to, as they say, we're going to have ouch moments. But if we can agree that we know those things are going to happen, that, but that it's more important that we begin a conversation, we begin a dialogue to explore our differences, but also our similarities and the things that bind us together. That's what's gonna make a stronger, more united America. It's an amazing thing that they're doing and they're gonna continue doing it. So I look forward to the next episode. All right, well, that's it for this episode. This is Scott Bryant Comstock, host of the Optimistic Advocate Podcast. See ya. We're happy to share whatever we've got.